Hi, and welcome to Tech News This Week. I'm your host, Tech Target Editorial News Director, Anton Gonsalves. On today's show, I talked to Baptist Health of Jacksonville, Florida, about the medical center's IT challenges. And I'll discuss with experts how startups are turning channel partners to increase sales and the difficulties companies have when trying to reduce carbon emissions. I recently wrote a story on why Baptist Health decided to move from uh, Cisco to Arista for its wired and wireless local area network. Today, I'd like to broaden the discussion uh, to the IT challenges faced by Baptist Health and the rest of the healthcare uh, industry. To help, me, to help me do that is Jim Bilski, Vice President of Enterprise IT Operations at Baptist Health. Uh, so let's start with that. You know, the healthcare industry is moving towards what it calls uh, patient-centric, uh, a patient-centric business model. Uh, what, what does that mean and how does it impact uh, IT purchases? Yeah, no, that, that's an awesome question. And we certainly are driving towards being patient-centric. And it, it's really a, a concept that's been in general industry for years. It's really putting the patient at the center and delivering services and engaging the patient directly rather than through different channels. Meeting the patient where they're at, either from a scheduling perspective, a payment perspective, or a touch perspective, um, and we saw some of that through COVID, obviously, um, where, you know, care was provided to patients via telehealth at home versus coming into a traditional setting. So it's definitely transitioning and becoming more directly um, guided towards the patient and, and meeting them, you know, wherever they might be and however they might want to engage with the health system. And, and how does that impact, how has that impacted uh, your IT purchasing and it was have you are you focused in areas certain areas that you weren't focused before um yes and no so you know the impact from an it perspective is we have to expect that we no longer control the environment right so if you come into our location it's it's our network our infrastructure our surroundings our you know our environment so we can control that but when you, you know, we're delivering care to someone's home, the dynamics are totally different. And you know, we're relying on the patient's environment and what's happening there. So that definitely has influenced a lot of what we're thinking and our approaches to technology to allow for resilience, recovery, and just more openness across the environment, not just what we may have traditionally thought of in inside of a brick and mortar setting, such as a hospital or a physician office or an emergency room. Hmm. What, what, what are the challenges that you face when uh, deploying new, uh, new technology? And now that you're working under a, uh, a whole a different environment than let's say uh, pre-pandemic, you know, and, and, how, and what could vendors do uh, to address the problems to make it a little easier for you? Yeah, so obviously, you know, that ties also into um, security. The, the security landscape is completely different and, and morphing every day as new attack vectors are always coming out. Um, being able to engage the patient regardless of where they're at 
and then having our our infrastructure available whether it's technical or you know physical infrastructure to support those dynamics whether it's wireless connectivity from point a to point b having a physician able to um, work in a physician's office or the hospital connect out to the patient and how we have to go about enabling that to allow for a seamless experience, but providing that securely. So everything that we're doing has more dynamics and more data points that we evaluate as we, we do that, which adds to the complexity of the deployment of the technology. Hmm. Have the, uh, and, and are you finding uh, that vendors are, are responsive to this? Are you, are they working with you, giving you the kind of technology uh, that you need? Or is the, uh, is there a lot of marketing out there that confuses, that's confusing when you're trying to solve a particular problem? Um, we bet through the marketing pretty quickly. Um, we have a pretty mature um, risk assessment process here at Back to Self. And we use that as a criteria for engaging our partner of the future. What, um, you know, rather than a vendor, we're looking for strategic partners. We go through that risk assessment collaboratively with our team from information security, with the vendor partner side, and we work through and identify opportunities and then we work on plans to make sure they're remediated and we score them. And, and that goes into the process before we even contract or engage with somebody directly. Okay. And you, you mentioned security earlier. Uh, you know, the land, the security, um, you know, with, with the introduction of, uh, of uh, telehealth, uh, internet connections to uh, medical, a growing number of medical devices, uh, that's that's broadened the security footprint. Uh, how are you um, How are you addressing that? I would I would, I would imagine security is becoming a lot more complex and a lot more difficult to uh, to deploy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, ideally we we live in a bubble, but we don't. Um, so security is something we we are highly concerned about, and it's probably top of mind each of every day as the number one risk to the environment of whether it's a malicious email or an intrusion or other aspects. So we're looking to um, provide you know, the proper controls without getting in the way of the clinical partners who are there to administer care. So it's a, it's a constant push-pull on that front and we're looking for um, technologies and solutions and implementing those that monitor traffic alert us proactively, take automatic responses if it has a detected um, response that may not be what we currently have defined as a, an acceptable use, um, and, and we go from there. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to security, you're always looking for, for better technology. It isn't like you feel like what you have is, uh, is the final answer. No, I, it's never, you know, it's one of those things that's never done. Um, the bad actors are certainly working at it each and every day. Um, so we, you know, we have to stay engaged with that and we're always looking to add and improve the layers. So we look at it, we look at security from a layer perspective, not just a one-stop perspective. So there's multiple dynamics, uh, multiple layers to the onion, so to speak. And we certainly look to enhance those on a regular basis. 
Okay. And, uh, you know, last question on AI. AI, of course, is, uh, is the, uh, the big story in the tech industry right now. Uh, do you, how is AI uh, affecting healthcare? Is this something that you've uh, looked at to deploy? Are you already use it? What, what's the status of AI? Yeah, so you know, obviously, it's it's top of mind and an item of quite quite a lot of buzz of late. Um, to some degree, we've utilized AI from a business process perspective for a while. Whether it's reviewing claims or diagnostic data that's going on to a bill to make sure that things are appropriate, but with the rise of you know uh, chat. Chat GBT and others of late, we're certainly looking at how can we leverage it differently and use it to provide a better experience across the board. You know, it certainly has a lot of positives. It has a lot of negatives as well. And, you know, for us, it's trying to balance the patient privacy risk and the needs for not robotically creating a, a scenario of um, engagement with the patient, but to supplement and use it in other manners, maybe more from a business perspective first and then ease into other areas. All right, so in today's economic climate, uh, emerging technology startups uh, can no longer turn to venture capitalists for additional funds to drive growth. So to increase revenue, uh, startups are turning to channel partners to help with sales. Here to explain uh, the trend is Tech Target Editorial's industry expert, John Moore. Okay, so uh, besides the uh, shortage of VC money, uh, what other factors uh, drive uh, are driving startups to uh, to channel partners? What's the landscape out there? Sure. Um, so in way of some quick background, um, I first started seeing um, channel partners uh, working uh, with um, startups um, about eight years ago. So I, so that's what I first noticed that is, uh, at the, at, at the kind of the very beginning of the trend and then, and now the, the factors, uh, influencing startups to turn to channel partners, um, tend to fall into, um, a couple of categories. So first, um, uh, partners can introduce startups to, uh, lots and lots of customers that they would struggle to, um, identify and sell to uh, on their own. So the channel partner is a conduit and they can open doors to uh, potential sales. And in the, in the current economy, that's a plus because um, uh, it's a more cost-effective way to um, sell. Um, the startup doesn't have to staff an entire sales force. It can rely on the, uh, the, the, uh, the channel partner's uh, uh, proverbial feet on the street. So that's one factor. Um, another one that's somewhat related is that partners uh, will oftentimes become the customer for the startup's technology. So it's not strictly a sell-through relationship, but also a, um, a sell-to um, relationship. And then there's the role of the channel partner as advisor. So partners uh, often uh, focus on vertical markets, um, so because of that, they can help the startup understand the very particular business problems within a given industry segment. And that just helps the startup make their technology that much more relevant for, um, for customers. So 
and then as an extension to that industry orientation, there's also an opportunity for startups to co-innovate with channel partners. And that means tapping into their um, engineering resources, which is another cost-effective strategy. Again, uh, engineering resources being rather expensive, um, the startup can um, take advantage of, of, of the uh, consulting firm or the systems integrators, uh, developers to help um, scale their product. Uh, sure, that, that, that's something that you wrote about. Systems integrators and consulting firms actually investing in the, in the startups. So yeah, this this has been going on for a, for a few years now, um, and uh, companies like Accenture, for example, uh, in twenty twenty, Accenture rolled out a program called uh, Project Spotlight, and the whole idea is to use that uh, effort to invest in startups, and they've got oh, about uh, I'd say more than thirty companies in the in the portfolio now. And just, just in the past week, um, Accenture invested in uh, Spider Oak, which offers a zero, zero trust platform for space communications. So that's um, uh, protecting satellite communications and things like uh, low Earth orbit, orbit networks. Um, so this, that's, a, that's a good example of the types of things that a company, a company like Accenture wants to get an early jump on so they can... Uh, they can uh, tap into a niche technology that can uh, help it potentially uh, win deals. Is there a lot of, is there more investment in one area of technology versus another? And obviously security, a, uh, something that uh, you see a lot of investment in, or are there other areas? Uh, security is a big one. And there's uh, a confluence of factors that are going on there. So, there's as you, uh, there's there's just uh, uh, tons of technology uh, for each um, component of the security problem. So mm -hmm. so for, for so for every seg sub segment of cybersecurity, there's probably a dozen startups targeting it, and that's overwhelming for the typical CIO to uh, to figure out on their own. So they're increasingly relying on channel partners to um, kind of vet the field. And narrow it down so they're only looking at those companies that have the most uh, mm -hmm. uh, relevant technologies for their for their business needs. Right. So, and Jim, partner, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and as Jim uh, Bilsky just pointed out from Baptist Health, security is something that they're always looking for. They're never um, they're never done. You know, so there's always a constant market there. Right. Right. So you get this relationship between the, um, the CIOs needing help for the channel partner, the channel partner um, and the, uh, tapping into the, to the startup community and the startups uh, relying on channel partners to make the introductions to the CIO. Okay. And, and, uh, and finally, how do uh, channel partners uh, choose uh, startup partners? Is there certain criteria that they use in general? Well, well, interestingly, uh, Accenture a couple of years ago conducted a study on the factors companies consider for making vendor partnerships in general, and the number one factor turned out to be innovation, which even uh, beat revenue potential. Um, so that uh, that ability to to partner with a startup and co-innovate and develop something quite specific for a client, um, the partner sees that as uh, is being able to provide an offering 
that that provides unique business value to the client. So that's a point of differentiation for them. So in terms of the startup's innovation, the channel partner is going to look at things like, does it address uh, a wide enough um, segment of, 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 the, of the channel partner's customer base to be, to be uh, a, a good play for them? And they'll also look at the technology in terms of its fit with the other products um, that the uh, integrator or consultancy provides. So the typical channel partner is working on complex problems. So it's a rare case where they would go into an account with a single product. It's typically a, 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 an entire constellation of technologies. So, so having, the, having a good fit a, a, across the, a spectrum of, of products is a, is a big plus when they're, when they're evaluating um, startups. Okay, finally, uh, more companies uh, look to reduce carbon emissions to stay ahead of government uh, regulations. They also say it's the right thing to do uh, to fight climate change. Uh, here to tell us about the challenges uh, those companies face and uh, some of the IT options to help is Tech, uh, Tech Target editorial senior news writer Jim O'Donnell. Okay, so um, companies are dealing with two types of emissions, right? Direct indirect uh what uh, what are the what are the the difference the difference between the two what exactly are they? Yeah, okay well actually they're they um they divide them into three categories essentially um for the emissions uh they call them scopes so um scope one emissions are those that are uh emissions that are directly um generated by an organization in their operations so for a manufacturing company it would be Every, all the power they use to power their buildings, um, all the power they use to uh, manufacture the goods and to ship and, um, you know, uh, ship them to their destinations. Um, so it's anything that was directly, um, you know, directly that goes into the production or the running of a company. If you're not a manufacturer, it would be the power you use in your building, for example. Um, so scope two emissions are the, uh, they're, in, they're called indirect uh, emissions. And they're basically the, the emissions that are caused um, or generated um, by the energy usage, uh, by, by actually producing the energy that, um, that an organization uses in their operations. So for, for example, the, um, the power plant, um, you know, the power that the power plant uses to generate the emissions that will, power, that will turn on the lights on a company essentially. So those are indirect emissions. Scope three emissions, are those in they're also indirect emissions but they're all it's all the carbon that's generated um, by a organization suppliers uh, their partners their customers both upstream and downstream so whatever that goes into the the production of um, the products uh, or services and um, whatever you know might go into the um, you know the uh, um, distribution of them the usage of the products um, by their partners and customers. Um, so it's, it, it, it gets very complex very fast. Sure. And, and what are the, so, you know, complexity might be one of the obstacles, but in general, what are the obstacles companies face when trying to, uh, to reduce carbon emissions? Uh, well, that is, I mean, uh, reducing carbon emissions, well, I guess we're, there's, there's kind of a difference. We have to distinguish between reducing them and accounting for them. And I think that's where we really want to talk about them. Um, is um, you know companies trying to first get a grip on before you can reduce it, you have to sort of account for the carbon emissions that are that you are generating. 
And um, by far, I think the the, the biggest uh, obstacle to it is that complexity, right? Um, because uh, if you think of a, a you know a large, uh, say, automotive manufacturer like uh, you know Ford, for instance, um, they 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 have thousands of suppliers, and their suppliers have their own you know thousands of sub suppliers. Um, and, uh, you know, down, you know, um, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three suppliers. So just kind of getting a grip and, and accounting for all those emissions within an organization is it's extremely difficult. Um, it's well, it's, it's a very complex. Um, sure. and, uh, and once you well, once you. Uh, all right. So the first step is to know what your emissions are, you know, where they're coming from. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, I know SAP recently um, introduced uh, something they call the Green Ledger Initiative that attacks that particular problem. Uh, you want to describe that? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, one of the so about eighty, depending on who you talk to, about eighty to ninety percent of, of um, carbon emissions are generated in, as we said, in a company supply chain. So. It's kind of not a surprise that a you know an enterprise software vendor like ER, uh, like um, SAP, who are you know one of the world's largest ERP vendors, deeply involved in supply chain, um, that they would you know have this as an issue that's uh, top of mind for them. So they they've actually been sort of talking about it for a lot longer than most other um, enterprise software vendors. Um, they're certainly not the only one that that's uh, coming up with them. Um, you know, uh, products that can help companies deal with it, but they're they're sort of they've been in the forefront of it for a while. And at their recent um, SAP Sapphire, their user conference, um, which was held last week, they they talked about this concept of, of what they call the green ledger, um, which essentially treats uh, accounting for carbon in the same way that organizations account for their finances. So. Um, you know, in the past, sort of uh, when companies have been, when they release, um, and most companies do have some sort of, a, you know, sustainability carbon emissions report that will be, you know, maybe a part of their, um, their uh, you know, annual report or something like that. Um, but they've, they've typically, um, in the past, they dealt with, um, you know, industry averages or, or just estimated data. Um, but in part, Due to the number of regulations that are that are coming out now, um, and I think there's there's something akin to maybe three thousand. Uh, I think it's been reported about three thousand um, regulations worldwide. Different companies, or different countries, have um, you know carbon reporting requirements that companies are starting to face right now. Uh, either they're facing it right now, or they they know that they're going to be coming on board, and they will have to face it in a few years. Um, for example, the SEC is uh, has a climate risk um, climate risk reporting uh, regulation that will um, I think will be coming on online uh, in about a year or so. Okay. So it's something that companies do have to think about. So this green ledger. Um, will be a way to account for your your um, your carbon emissions in the same way you would account for your, fi your finances through the organization. You'll mm -hmm. actually have to you'll, you'll account for them, and they have a couple of tools that can help you do this. They have a, a sustainability something called the sustainability footprint management, which uh, allows companies to kind of enter this, capture the information, enter it in a in a um, you know a system that can kind of roll up into the screen ledger, and mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, but, but I'm that's sure the, the main sure point of it is, is like accounting. 
I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sure they, uh, there's, there's a, a whole host of tools that, that they're going to provide. Uh, but you did write about a, a customer of theirs, Arista Networks, uh, starting that they were just starting efforts to address uh, sustainability issues, you know, like carbon emissions. Um, is that, are they reflective of, of, of companies in general, uh, meaning that they're just starting now or is Arista a, a bit behind? No, you know, it, it's, um, uh, it's a little over the map. I mean, some companies have been at the forefront of this. I don't think they're, they're atypical. For example, they're, they're a relatively small um, uh, maker of uh, networking equipment, like switches and, and software to run networks. Um, and they'll compete against, you know, a Cisco, but they're not nearly as big as a, Cis a Cisco. So in a sense, they really haven't, um, you know, the, the, um, the person I talked to from Marista, who is a, a manufacturing uh, engineer with them, um, you know, said they didn't really have to think about this uh, in the past. Um, it wasn't an issue that would come up, but it is becoming a topic of uh, conversation within the company, uh, driven a, a, by a couple factors. Um, one is uh, customer demand. Uh, they know that their customers are going to be looking for um, their products, which will be made, you know, uh, in a more sustainable way and made and, and transported. Um, and also uh, employees within the company want to know that their company is doing something you know, uh, to be more responsible. So um, those are two main factors. But I will say he said there's another uh, factor, which is, is quite important for a lot of companies, especially in, um, in based in North America, that they have to start thinking about is um, they are, they're looking to expand their presence in Europe. And Europe has um, much, has been more at the forefront of carbon emissions uh, regulations. So, um, uh, he did say that, uh, you know, if they're going to expand their presence in Europe, they're going to have to build a more sustainable supply chain, which will um, have to account for these European standards. So it's, it, it is a mixture of sort of this, these market demands, um, where you're going to market products um, and uh, employee um, sentiment within your company, which is kind of driving yeah. their efforts. All right. So that wraps up this week's show. Thanks for watching and enjoy the weekend.